following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. All right, let's pray. Lord, we come to you knowing that you are good, that you will teach us your ways. I pray this morning that the words of my mouth would be beneficial to those gathered here this morning. In your son Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you a little inside baseball here of being a pastor, which is when you come to the holy days, the holidays, especially for us here at Narrative, you think Christmas time, Easter time, Holy Week, those kinds of things, there's, a t- there's always the trick of figuring out what angle am I going to take this year? How am I going to talk about this? Now, the real struggle comes in if you happen to have not saved your sermon from the year prior and you forget what you taught last year, but guaranteed everyone in front of you remembers. And so you're looking for an angle. I texted my dad this week and I said, all right, pops, what are you preaching? How are you tackling Palm Sunday? Because it's here again. Because it's the same story it was last year. Jesus goes to a couple disciples, goes, hey, listen, there's this colt of a donkey tied up at someone's house. Just go thieve it. Just go ahead and go take it. And they're like, whoa, Jesus, you told us not to steal. He goes, yeah, but when someone asks, just go, the Lord has need of it. And they're like, we hear you, Jesus. We're going to get stabbed. And he goes, do you trust me or not? So they go, and they just straight up, and I just, I'm, I'm going to take some extra biblical license here to say, I don't know how this went down, but this is the TED version, right? The TV, the Teddy's version, which is these two disciples roll up, and they are sure bad news is happening. You know, you got one disciple on lookout, the other disciple quickly untying, one guy going, come on, let's go, and then out walks whoever owns this donkey, and they go, hey, what you doing? Right in modern day, they're on the ring cam from work going, excuse me, that is my donkey. Right, but we get this moment where they are confronted. We don't see it as much in John's gospel here, but we'll see it in the others. They're confronted and they go, uh, the Lord has need of it? And whoever owns it goes, yeah, okay, checks out. Like, talk about, like, we have all these major miracles that Jesus does, healing the sick, turning water into wine, and changing this dude's mind from afar. The Lord has need of it. So they take the donkey, Jesus sits upon it, and this is a whole deal because if you are a conqueror, you would ride in on your war horse. You would enter on the horse in which you did battle to show how great you are. Riding in on a war horse would be equivalent to riding in on a tank. Nobody is second-guessing going, oh yeah, that dude's the king. Riding in on a donkey is like, who's that guy on top of the Honda Accord? Right? Like, that's just what it was. And so Jesus turns things upside down. He comes in, and people are freaking out. And I love 
the John reading because it says, the crowd had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead to bear witness. Sometimes we lose sight that these people are doing insane things. They're tearing these trees down, throwing palm branches down, taking off their cloaks. But listen, they just watched Jesus raise a guy from the dead. Like, of course they're freaking out. They're like, this is the Messiah. Even death isn't stopping him. And they sing, Hosanna, hallelujah. The king has come. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious rulers, are freaking out because they're looking at their power diminishing. And so we see this moment where Jesus turns convention on its head. And so there are a couple routes you usually go as a pastor. Do you talk about the donkey? Do you dive deep into this idea that he is the humble Messiah? Not the conquering hero, the humble Messiah. But I guarantee you I've done the humble Messiah. You could look at the people. You could focus on the people and you go, oh, look at these people. Here they are saying, Hosanna. And in a week they're going to be yelling, crucify him. And then what I would do as a good pastor is make you feel guilty and be like, that's what you do. You're all here singing praises on Sunday, but what's happening on Wednesday? It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. That was you. We could lean into that. Riley wants it. We could take a look at the idea of the gate that Jesus is coming in through and the significance of the Messiah who comes in from this direction that there's actually a lot of biblical prophecy of the way Jesus enters Jerusalem of the way he looks upon it. We could look at all of those things. But instead, what I want to do is talk about a tweet I saw this week talking about Palm Sunday. And it was a guy who was really trying to just give it to one side. And in this tweet, what he said was, oh, all of you out there who thinks that Jesus is here for their power, oh yeah, he rolled in on a colt for your power and for all these things, and he's obviously aiming it at Christians who do not believe like he does. You conservative Christians who are all about your power, who are all about your might, and here's Jesus. And so all of a sudden we have Jesus riding in on a colt co-opted as Jesus of the party of the donkey. That it would be easy to take Jesus and say, oh, this is our Jesus. Look, here what we're, here's what we're going to do. This is our Jesus, the meek and mild, and he's here to prove you wrong. Well, that's not untrue. But I sat there reading this and I was like, is this like got you tweetism? Like it's not journalism, but it's like, ha ha, I got you this time. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going, like, I understand some of what you're saying, but you're just being a jerk about it. And then I'm sitting there thinking, I had spent a lot of time in the past couple weeks writing some devotions. And one of the devotions I was writing on is this moment 
where the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who would have been the scribes, the academics, they get together because they're worried. Jesus is already in Jerusalem. This would have been after the triumphal entry. They've seen that. They're worried. So they send spies to go and trick him. The idea is if they can get him to say something bad about Rome, then Pontius Pilate, who's the Roman governor, will have to execute him. Or if they can get him to say something heretical, they can bring him up on religious charges. And what happens is they go, hey, are we supposed to pay tax to Caesar? And Jesus is just legit. He goes, hand me a coin. Whose face is on here? He goes, Caesar's. They go, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's to God. What is God's? And these people are like, oh no. Because you see, Romans took up tax to oppress the local population. When Romans came in and colonized your area, the people who paid for your oppression was you. Right? As Americans, we know all about that. We threw some tea into a harbor because of it. And so Jesus deftly says, listen, you pay to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And then it goes on that they're like, okay, Jesus, here's the deal. And here's in the resurrection, in the time to come, let's say, you know, just a thought experiment, Jesus. And I love when people do this. They're like, let's have a thought experiment. Because you're like, this is probably not happening in reality. And they go, all right, if a man has a brother and that brother dies and his wife, then he has to marry her to take care of her. And what if that happens six times? When they get to the resurrection, whose wife is that? And they're like, he's going to mess this up. And we can bring him up on heretical charges. And he goes, listen, you are speaking of what you do not know. In the resurrection, those things will be different. The kingdom of God is different than the one you know. And what's crazy about this is these spies are sent by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees being the more liberal branch of religion at that point who no longer believe in the resurrection. And so their true colors are shown. Their goal is that they saw Jesus ride into crowds rejoicing and they feared for themselves. And they, two unlikely groups who hated each other were brought together to try to destroy Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We are in a time in our country where we are so divided and all of us want to lay claim on Jesus. All of us want to say, this is my Jesus, this is my Jesus. And here's what I want to challenge us to think as we look at Jesus who rides in on a colt, on a donkey, that that threat was so great to the religious rulers of his time, that they banded together to fight him, that maybe it's not about our Jesus and us trying to form him into our mold, but instead looking at him and saying, Lord, change me. I was texting with a friend about this idea as it was like mulling in my head. And he said, I've had an interesting connection with this, where someone was asking me almost this exact question of, would Jesus agree with some of these things? And he said, well, who did Jesus eat with? 
And I love the response that this guy he was talking with him gave because he goes, sooner or later he ate with everybody. Jesus would roll into town and spend time with those who needed him. He rolled into town and found Zacchaeus, who happened to be a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. Climbed up in a tree, you know the rest. Because Jesus is going to his house today. Well, why is Zacchaeus such a big deal? Zacchaeus is like a top-of-the-line tax collector. This dude has sold out to the Romans that as the Israelites are being persecuted, this is the guy who's being escorted by Roman guards because he's taking their money so that they can be persecuted. And Jesus rolls up, and in a crowd of thousands goes to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And what does Zacchaeus do? Invites him in, and he is so changed that he pays back what he has taken because these tax collectors would not only take for Rome, they would take over the top for themselves, and he pays back. Why? Because the Savior of the universe walked into his house and said, Zacchaeus, you are important to me. You who have political power and clout and are with the in crowd, you are important to me. You have Nicodemus, who's one of the Pharisees, who sneaks up in the middle of the night to talk to Jesus because he's heard. He's heard. It's Holy Week. He's heard the rumblings of this rabbi. And he shows up in the middle of the night because he is afraid. He is a coward that his friends will hear that he came to see Jesus. And his thinking is so broken that when he asks Jesus what he must do to have eternal life, he says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus straight-faced looks Jesus in the face and goes, so I must enter back into my mother's womb? Dude, word pictures, my guy. Like, come on. And Jesus then teaches him so much so that Nicodemus ends up being a follower of Jesus. He will spend time with prostitutes. He will spend time with fishermen. He will spend time with the elite. One little verse that you might miss is that as Jesus goes around, his mission has to be bankrolled, right? How are you going to eat? Do you know who bankrolls the mission of Jesus? The wife of the treasurer of King Herod. That she sees this rabbi and says, I will pay for your ministry. This is the King Herod who would cut off John the Baptist's head. But she saw the Messiah and saw what was happening. This will not stop. When Jesus ascends, there will be a man named Saul who is murdering Christians, who is persecuting them unto death, who smiles as Stephen, who is one of the greatest followers of Jesus of his time is stoned to death as he looks at those who are stoning them, looks to heaven and says, they do not know what they do. And Saul stands beside and he says, good. He doesn't even throw a stone. He holds the jackets. Which seems strange, but then when you think about it, you realize he holds 
coats because he doesn't have to throw the stone. He has the power over others to do it. And Jesus shows up and Saul becomes Paul who writes a majority of our New Testament who will say, in my weakness, he is stronger. And story after story, one of my favorites is as Paul comes into Philippi, they go out of Philippi because it's a Roman colony town. There's not a synagogue, but they hear that there are followers of God who meet by the river, and they are led by a woman who is a dyer in purple cloth. She doesn't even live in Philippi. She just does a lot of business there. And she is leading prayer meetings by the river. And when Paul and his crew roll in and they teach about Jesus, she says, come to my house in Philippi. And they come and the church grows because of one faithful woman. Peter would be sent by God to Cornelius a centurion, a Roman soldier. And his entire household would be baptized. The stories roll on and on and on. It is easy for us to identify who we are for and who we are against. My encouragement for us and my challenge as well is that as we look at the triumphal entry, we take a moment and step back. And remember that Jesus eats with everyone. He is neither Republican nor Democrat, independent, libertarian. He is. He is the Son of God come to save us all. And as He enters in, the threat of His power is what kicks off his passion. What I want us to do is to slow down and say, if my Savior redeems me, then who all is He here for? John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And this is 3.17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus is going to inform every piece of our lives. Every piece. And I don't want to come in as your pastor and say, this is how you got to vote, this is what you got to believe here. Well, the belief thing is kind of on me. But, you know, as you look at the world, my goal, my hope and my prayer is that wherever you go, whatever you do, wherever your passions lie, the first lens you look through the world at is to say, I am a sinner in need of grace, and Jesus gave it to me. And he came not just for me, but for the world. That maybe, just maybe, if we could have more compassion in the way that Jesus ate with everyone. 
can share his love a little bit every day. That as the Savior who rides in on the colt, as the Savior who goes to the cross and who rises again, is the Savior who looks down and says, listen, I eat with everyone. I eat with you. My joy is that I look at my life and I say, Lord, you see, I was the Pharisee. I still am. That's my struggle. And the Lord breaks me a little bit every year, every day, every hour. Because part of being a Pharisee is going, well, if I'm going to hold everyone else to a high standard, they can all have grace, but there's none for me. Jesus came to eat with me. When he came into Jerusalem, he had on his mind me. So my challenge for us as we look at the triumphal entry is to say, Jesus, when you come in, who are you coming to meet? Because it's not one small subsect of the world. It is the world. And may we rejoice that we have a Savior who does not fit our expectations, who does not fit our ideas, but instead exceeds them to a point where he says, you are mine and I am yours. We'll talk more about that as we talk about Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, a Savior who is for all. He cannot be claimed by people who would try to punish one side or the other, but instead he is a Savior who came for all people. Let's pray. Lord, remind us over and again that you came to meet with all people. Lord, we know that you have called us as your people to follow you. We know that there are certain ways and certain things we are called to do, and we cannot walk away from them. We know that in you is truth. But Lord, may we balance that truth with love, with kindness and compassion. And Lord, when we look upon this world and we fear because your ways are different than that of the world, may you give us strength in the knowledge of you and what you have done. Lord, we ask that in the places where our hearts are hard, where we look at others in condemnation instead of prayerful grace, that you would break the hardness of our heart. Lord, I know I need this prayer in my life. So I pray it over all of us that we may seek after you in all that we do. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.